Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. And it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 128 and it's also week four, the penultimate episode of Cage of Palooza 2021. The movie that we watched this week was 2018's Mandy and here to talk with me about it are Phil and Austin Rude from The Picture Show. Gentlemen, how you doing tonight? Doing good, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes. There's a lot. <laughs> yes, we do. Now, neither of you had seen this movie before, correct? No, this was new to me. Nope. Never seen it. Were you familiar with it? Like, had you heard of it or heard the name or anything like that prior to uh, us talking about doing it for this? I've never heard anyone ever speak about this movie. <laughs> okay. I uh, I remember when this came out because it made kind of a splash uh, with kind of indie cinema people. I remember Nicole Davis talking a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it ever played down here. And if it did, the window was so small that I was not able to catch it. And somehow it just kept flying under the radar. Um so I, I felt like uh, Cage of Palooza was a perfect time for me to finally catch up with it. Yeah, it was one of those, I remember it coming out. I didn't see it right away, but I had seen it prior to this week. Um, but it was, it was yeah, it, it was the kind of thing that you heard about if you followed movies online, especially Nicolas Cage. And, but right. it was also very small. It didn't have a wide release. It wasn't a huge budget thing. In fact, the budget for this movie was only like $6 million. Oh, yeah, it is. You can tell there's very little, but uh, they get so much mileage out of it. They really do. All right, so uh, we're going to start by talking about Cage in the movie because this is the month we celebrate Nick Cage. And he, so this month I have uh, now watched Color Out of Space, um, Season of the Witch, and Trapped in Paradise, and now Mandy. Four very different movies and four very different um, performances from Nicolas Cage, which is one of the reasons why I like doing this month, because he's so varied and he's so different. I mean, Trapped in Paradise last week, he gets to go a little bit crazy, but he's he's playing uh, kind of a sort of con man, uh, ex, I guess more like more like an ex-convict or robber, but he's not. I don't. He's not completely unhinged. Season of he's the, the, he's the straight man of that of that trio. True uh, of that uh, trio, very, yes. You know, <laughs> uh, so he he is the one who's sort of like the uh, if I remember because I didn't I didn't rewatch it uh, for the show, but I had seen it a bunch when it was new. Mm-hmm. Like he's a really kind of buttoned down regular guy in he's, that, not yeah. doing the whole Nick Cage thing. You know, he doesn't. He the has a couple of moments, but does. yes. <laughs> He has a couple of moments of it, but it's not it's not who his right. character is. Season of the Witch was very much him playing very middle of the road um, in terms of like the characterization he had, but it sort of fit what that movie was, which that movie was trying to... In fact, it could have benefited from him going a little bit more over the top. Color Out of Space... Right. Color Out of Space was more of what people have come to expect from Nick Cage, where he does go a bit more off the deep end, um, which is a lot more of what he did in this movie. This movie allowed him a lot of latitude because describing Mandy to somebody is difficult because it's not really a traditional movie, right? There's not a narrative to follow in it um, uh, per se. Like there is, but it's not a, it's the not narrative a is so simple that, that yes. it's almost not even about that. It, it, by the end of the movie, you forget like what his driving force of all this was. So yeah, I mean, it, it's there, but it's also like, it's kind of not the point of the movie a little bit. Well, the goal changes like multiple times. True. I feel like. Yeah, I, that's fair. I remember getting done watching it for the first time. And I think my reaction was like, huh? Like I didn't know how to react <laughs> because I didn't, my initial reaction wasn't, well, this was amazing, but it also wasn't what the hell did I just watch? It was like, I need to step back from this and like process it because it was so, so different from what I would have expected from watching even a a low budget. uh, You can call this a horror movie, but it's not really a horror movie per se, although it has a lot of horror elements to it. It's on shutter. So it gets kind of uh, shoehorned (laughs) in there, but it's, it's almost just like a psychedelic movie. It's almost like an experimental 
uh you remember like you ever see any of those like short films that like jim henson made in the 60s when mm -hmm. he was making like these experimental psychedelic films it's almost like that but with the volume turned like way way up you know that that school of of experimental filmmaking um yeah but, like but you yeah could... i i go ahead go ahead travis sorry I was just going to say you could uh you could 100% see the same ideas in this being done by like Ralph, Ralph Bakshi in an animated film. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a that's a great comparison. Um any any of that uh 70s Bakshi stuff like uh heavy metal or American pop or or stuff like that that yep. Yep. that was just uh or just who, really trippy and almost almost unscripted animation. So, yeah, sure. wh whoever it was that did the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie too was like that. That was, had some weird trippy stuff in it. Um, that, I did not know that thing existed until like that thing has come up more in like the last year. <laughs> I've heard people reference it. I'm like, I have to track this thing down at some point. It's but, yeah. uh, uh, it was the same guy that did um uh the the thief and the cobbler. Um, oh, I don't, uh, which I know is what another, you're talking about, but I don't know who that was. Like, yeah. it's just, it's just weird. And that, this is almost like a live action version of that with, you know, a couple of animated moments in it. Um, I, I understand none of these references, but I feel like, <laughs> uh, the, the closest thing I can compare the directing style of this is to like maybe midsummer and like mm -hmm. a very, yeah. it's very different, but like that psychedelic, uh, kind of thing and then uh a lot of the shots it's interesting i don't know how to describe it but it's like uh they kind of tell a story without telling you directly like in the beginning especially there's mm -hmm. a lot of like figure it out yourself here's this here's that and they're not totally connected but they still flow yeah yeah that makes sense yeah it, it's almost like this is more of a uh, uh an experience for two hours than it is an actual like we're gonna sit down and watch a narrative story there's a there's a story buried in there of a couple and they're dealing with whatever they're but but you kind of fill in the blanks yourself it's not it's not given to you in any kind of exposition or any kind of dialogue it's just sort of some events unfold uh but it's really about experiencing these things almost viscerally which it i like that yeah there's there's a uh a visceral experience is a really good way to put it. A midsummer, I definitely got midsummer vibes. Mm -hmm. And another one I, I was thinking while I was watching this was uh, Aronofsky's movie from a couple of years ago, Mother. Mm, uh, yeah. I know Mother is a is a very uh, polarizing movie. I I loved it uh, in the same way I loved Midsummer and I loved uh, Mandy. I loved all of these movies because of the ride. The ride is the thing that takes. Uh, front and center. Uh, there's a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of symbolism, but really, it's mostly about the slow burn and the ride and the experience of going through. It's almost like a theme park ride. It only yeah. it's terrifying. If if if, <laughs> if you were experiencing this in in real time in real life, uh, you would uh, shit your pants and never go on a theme park ride again. It would just traumatize you. But um, pretty much, yeah. But yeah, it's there's a weird school of of psychedelic experiential filmmaking. And I think this is, this is a big piece of that. And, and I'm really digging some of these movies in the last few years that are, that are taking some big chances and some big swings on mm -hmm. stuff like this. Yeah. I, this... I like this style. Uh, sorry. I like this style of this movie so much that I almost feel like the plot just detracts from it. Like at some points, uh, I think it really hit me when he's in uh, the guy's RV getting a crossbow mm -hmm. and like he starts, it's like this exposition dump about like, who are these weird kind of alien uh, hunters? Oh yeah. The, the biker gang. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was like, you don't need to tell me that. I don't want to know that. Just <laughs> let it be. <laughs> Let it yeah. be this weird little thing, and then we can. I I already accepted that I wasn't going to know this, and then they pause the movie to tell me about it. But what I kind of like about it is they sort of tell you about it, but then it leads to more questions because they're like, 
So the chemist made them this bad batch of super concentrated LSD, and it made them superhuman. <laughs> Melting his face. <laughs> and and then you're just like, well, wait, huh? Hold on. And then they, they just move right on. Like, yep, okay, we mentioned yeah. it. Now we can, you know, and then later on when he finds the jar, you, you already know what he's found, and it's whatever this stuff is. Um, Plus that scene gave us a, a chance to have a scene with Bill Duke. And I was so thrilled to see Bill Duke show up in this. That um, is always a win. It, he, uh... It's uh, uh, I've, I've seen him uh, lately too. Um, I don't know if you've seen the the newest uh, Soderbergh movie on HBO Max. No sudden move. I have not. But Bill Duke, Bill Duke is in that, and I didn't recognize him through most of the movie until the end. He takes his sunglasses off, and those eyes just give. That's the Bill Duke uh, stare. Oh yeah, and, uh, but I yeah. When he shows up in this, uh, once once it reveals that oh, Bill Duke's in the trailer, it's like that is fantastic. I love that guy. He, he's great, and he's looking old. I'll say that he's showing yeah. some age now, and he's his face is so much thinner than it used to be, which is probably why until you see his eyes, you you wouldn't recognize him. Yeah, because he doesn't have but that. He still look he still looks scary as shit though. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. He is, oh yeah. He is a, a tough looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's an intimidating looking fellow. That is for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I love the fact that he was in this. Um, and it's a great. That's a great scene for me. I liked it because it gave. So there's a couple of moments where where Red, played by Nick Cage, gets to have these like very emotional moments, and. It's it's dealing with the grief of losing um, Mandy, but it's also right. Nick Cage just gets to go crazy in them as well. The scene, so the, and the two of them are in the um, in the RV with Bill Duke, where it that's yep. much more subdued. But by this point, he's already decided I'm killing everybody, regard like I, or I'm going right. at least I'm going to try. Like I don't care what happens to me at this point, but I'm going after them. And then right before that is that scene in the bathroom. And that bathroom yes. scene, what's amazing about that is it is insane and over the top and crazy, but it's so compelling. You can't stop watching it. And then about two thirds of the way into it, you realize this is one unbroken shot. Yeah. And I, it may not be true, but in my head, that is an actual bottle of vodka that he's just chugging out of the whole time. Oh, I feel not like, staged. I feel like the- that was a that was a uh, moment of Nicolas Cage just being Nicolas Cage that he didn't know the cameras were rolling. I feel like he got done having a meltdown, and then he said, "Okay, I'm ready whenever you are." And they're like, "No, we got it, we got it. Let's move on." Uh, but the, the director was like, "Tell them that uh, tell Nick Cage that he's not getting paid," and then they just felt this just reaction started, uh, having a meltdown. Um, but yeah, that uh, that scene is. Uh, like from the minute you see like the wallpaper of the bathroom that mm-hmm. looks like the uh, the carpet of the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, uh, it just sets the stage for like this is a manic, crazy uh, room, and then you feel claustrophobic. The camera's moving in and out. It is a it is an over the top scene, but I think it's it's doing a job. It's mm-hmm. it's bringing you like there's a lot of metaphor and there's a lot of uh, symbolism in that scene uh, or in that that sequence of scenes right there and I think it's it's doing a really good job of putting you there but also you just feel like closed in you feel claustrophobic mm-hmm. in there you feel like you're trapped in this tiny room with a crazy man yeah yeah and, you're... Uh, it's super effective yeah yeah you're stuck in I... a carpeted bathroom by the way weird yes. probably the weirdest looking <laughs> thing in the whole movie is the carpeted bathroom <laughs> And I say this having grown up in a house with a carpeted bathroom. But I grew up in a house with a carpeted bathroom. <laughs> it was yeah. the eighties. Yes. It was uh, shag carpet at that. That's even better. Um, but it was you're, you're stuck in a carpeted bathroom with a crazy guy not wearing pants, who is <laughs> chugging vodka and pouring it all over himself and sobbing uncontrollably. It is, it is all at equal parts difficult to watch, engaging, engrossing, and uh, just playing crazy and i loved every second of it and then you realize it's all one take i bet it was one take i don't think they did more than one of those oh. they just did that once and were like brilliant move on because you're not going to top that 
Well, it's one of those things, like you said, it's probably a real bottle of vodka. You can only probably do one take because by the time you set True. up for the second one, uh, Nick Cage is half in the bag doing his uh, Leaving Las Vegas uh, a character <laughs> all over again. <laughs> but it, it's also like it, it's such an effective scene in the moment in the movie because this movie's pacing is really interesting to me because when I especially watching it this time. I'm watching it thinking, all right, so we're probably about a half an hour into this movie. like, And I knew it was a two-hour movie, and then I look, and no, we're at 55 minutes. I was like, holy crap, this this thing is yeah. really... For as slow a burn as the first half of this movie is, it moves right along, and that's kind of that tipping point right in the middle there. But you've just seen... You, Red has gone through so much, and he doesn't even know how to process any of it, so he's just flipping out, and then he passes out right after that. And well, there's a, a really weird part is in the first in the first half of the movie, you almost forget Nicolas Cage is in it. He's yeah, kinda. he only has a handful of lines. Uh, a lot of it concentrates on Mandy and on the cult that's following her. Mm -hmm. And when they do cut back to Nicolas Cage, you're like, oh, yeah, he's still here. And then he he's kind of not talking very much. It's a really the first half of this movie is so quiet. It's yes. it's off-putting, and then the second half turns the volume up so loud that it's like, oh my god! You go from one extreme to the other with none of the spectrum in between. It's it's really wild. Yeah, That's, and uh, go ahead. I I was like surprised when they killed off Mandy because I was like, she's the most developed character at this point, point. Mm -hmm. and also yeah. also that like tone shift. Uh, I was not prepared for it. I was thinking, okay, this is gonna be like a slow thriller kind of horror yeah. and then it just like completely changed into an action movie and honestly i liked the beginning way better like i was like can we go back just just <laughs> go back to that so it's interesting that you say that because this definitely is not a movie for everybody not not even if you took out all of the the gore effects and and that right. in the second half of the movie um, and the stuff and kind of toned that down. It's still, it's not a movie for everybody because of exactly that. It has these weird tonal shifts and it can be jarring. I, Austin, I wonder if you watched it again, knowing kind of what you're getting into, how different and how much more jarring that second half would feel and if you would enjoy it more or not. Yeah, because I, now, now you're not being blindsided by it where it's coming out of nowhere. Right. I, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it. It was just like I was really enjoying like the quietness. Like mm -hmm. I noticed that everyone was whispering in like that first yeah. forty five minutes. Like there wasn't a single like normal toned voice, except for when uh the cult leader like would occasionally scream at people and right. that would make you jump because it's such a change. Good uh, point. Yeah, there was another long take I really liked, which was the story that Mandy told about the Starlings. Because that's another oh, one yeah. of those where you realize partway through it, holy crap, they haven't cut yet. They're just doing this long take. It's just a monologue, uh, really. And it's um, so very disturbing. <laughs> very <laughs> disturbing, but so well delivered, too. And again, to, to your point, Austin, it's very much whispered. So you're you're kind of lean, you're almost leaning into the screen trying to hear it better. Um, so... I, I just I loved those. I can understand why the the first half of it would be more, um, more to, you know if if that grabbed you a little bit more. Like you just want to you want to kind of continue that because really that second half of the movie is. And one of my notes I wrote down was I wondered if the the Crow comic book was uh, an inspiration for the story at all because really that's what Red becomes. Oh wow! Red kind of becomes the Crow in the second half, in the sense that in the comic of the Crow, he went on his vengeance rampage and it was just mowing people down. There was like no resistance whatsoever. Um, they altered that when they adapted it into a movie. And that's kind of what happens for, for red in this movie. He has very little resistance once he decides that he's going to take those guys out. Um, the closest he gets is when he runs the one, the first one over and his Jeep or his, uh, Bronco kind of flips. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. 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 But after that, he gets out of that situation where he's handcuffed and nailed to the floor, which uh, that one was that like, I know it's fake, but still seeing the nail sticking out of his hand, I was just like, ah, no, thank it's, you. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Uh, but then he gets out of that situation and just 
mows people down. He, these are these superhuman black skulls, whatever they are, and they, they pose almost no threat to him. So it's But I feel I feel like they're kind of the movie kind of puts him as uh Here's the the big thing I saw all the nailing to the floor all that stuff uh having uh having you know his hands spread apart he was kind of the Jesus metaphor uh, yeah there was definitely but a little instead bit instead of, of being reborn as as an angel he was reborn basically as a demon as one of the things I think there's a whole uh subtext in here about the reason it takes place in in the Reagan era and they open up with him like listening to Reagan talk about uh you know the values of, of America you know like uh say no to drugs and and anti-pornography and all this and Nick Cage just sort of like heads straight into that world of violence and drugs mm-hmm. and pornography and and depraved sex and it's sort of saying like no no you have to become evil to defeat evil and so I feel like there's an, a super whatever the supernatural element of this movie is. I feel like Red is that by by ha- when he when Mandy dies, his humanity dies, and he oh, yeah. basically becomes that's that's the bra- bathroom breakdown scene. All that is just his rebirth into this monster, basically, mm-hmm. and he just is monsters hunting monsters at that point. Yep. Uh, which I think is just such a it's such a brilliant way to take the Jesus metaphor and go, OK, uh, his humanity's left behind. But instead of going to heaven, he basically descends into hell and just destroys it, takes it all apart. And I think it's just such a wild ride. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like when Mandy dies, his future dies like that was his, right. his future. He's got nothing left to live for. So he's like, OK, it's all might as well. Yeah. Get revenge. Absolutely. Yeah, and I had read some some theories uh, that you know that maybe um, both Red and Mandy had had some abuse and some issues in their past, and finding each other was kind of their way to get through that. Because uh, going back to the bathroom scene, one of the things to think about is he stumbles into that room, and there's a bottle of vodka in a cabinet in the bathroom. Yeah, like, that's the type of thing that an alcoholic would do. It's hiding, a hidden bottle. Yeah. Hidden bottle. That kind of stuff. So it makes you think. Okay. You're right, Austin. Like that was his future was Mandy and getting past all of this stuff that he had had in his past. She's gone. All right, it's time. We're just going to kick out the jams, crank it to eleven, and here we go. And he he <laughs> busts do. out his forge yeah. and makes the the most badass looking axe you've ever seen. <laughs> and he just goes on a rampage. And I did also think that you know it was a it was a not so subtle Manson like reference uh, for Jeremiah oh, for sure. Sands. Who, by the way, we haven't even mentioned yet. Jeremiah Sands, played by Linus Roche, um, is great. so good in this. He, yes. <laughs> I, I knew him from uh, Batman Begins. He played Thomas Wayne in that, uh, Bruce's father, oh, wow. for a very short period of time. That's what I remembered him from. Um, but he is so incredibly good in this role. He's horrible, and he just makes he makes you feel gross every time you see him on screen. But he's amazing at it. And he's slimy. He is slimy is a great word oh, yeah. for it. He has, uh, uh, yeah, his, his, uh, that scene where he's playing his record, you know, doing the Manson thing of like, yep. Hey, I make music. Um, that whole weird, uh, LSD trip, the, the camera effects where her face is on top of his face and, oh. and the speech he's giving and all of that, that scene is so freaking good. Uh, and so uncomfortable at the same time. It yes. is you. You want you want to get out of that scene, but you also kind of want to stay in it and see. And then by the end of it, when she laughs at him, you're so glad you stuck around to see how it played out. It, it is just there is something about the push and pull of scenes in the first half of this movie where they go just a little too long. They make you really uncomfortable. But you, I, I really got something out of every scene that I stayed too long in. There was mm-hmm. some payoff to it, um, and I think that's the, a really artistic side of this movie. And that scene, that scene just brought it all home. That scene was so over the top and and beautiful and ugly at the same time. There, it's, I can't even describe it properly. Yeah, and that, if you that whole, sorry, uh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, if you take into account the the scene right before it where she gets drugged up, too, is another yeah. very uncomfortable to watch and, and drawn out moment that leads directly into that scene, which then just keeps going. And it's that slow burn. It's that you keep waiting. Yeah. You, you're in it. You're invested. You're waiting to see how it plays out. And the first time I saw it, it did not play out the way that I thought it would. That's not how I anticipated that scene going. <laughs> And that was a testament to the character of Mandy, because even in that state, she still, she is not going to fall under his spell. He doesn't have any control over her, although he feels as though he's entitled to whatever he wants. He doesn't get that from her, and that just ruins him. Like, he doesn't even know what to do at that point. And I love that. I feel like that adds... uh to the abuse theory like she's mm-hmm. dealt with controlling manipulative people yes. before and she's just she, she's kind of already got the countermeasures built into she's, her brain she's, she's just like, up from it yeah. okay yeah yep yeah that's, that's a good point she sees how ridiculous he is mm-hmm. that's and a I great think, insight uh, i think uh you were talking about the scenes going too long one of those for me was uh that i really liked was when the old woman is shopping at her store mm. and just oh god so awkward and it's <laughs> it's so bad yeah and they don't have any of the like crazy special effects going on it's just like it's just like something that feels real yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's just an awkward dialogue scene yeah right. i i wanted it to be over i was like <laughs> please get out of the store yeah and it's like that that scene is a great example austin because there isn't any visual stuff going on in that. Like we see in the LSD trippy weird stuff that goes on. There's no audio effects. Nobody's voice is distorted. It's just here's Mandy reading her book and this random weird woman comes up that she, she has no idea who she is. And then it's just this awkward exchange between the two of them. And I having worked in retail in my, in my youth have had those same types of conversations where it's just like you just yeah. want it to be over, but it seems to and and then on top of that, the way they the way they they frame it and the way they shoot it, every shot feels like it lasts a beat or two longer than it should. Like we're gonna hang on right. this face for a second and then cut. And we're gonna make you sit in it for an extra few seconds. Yeah, and and just feel the feel the tension in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and all the tension it's really weird because the entire time it's playing out, you don't get any sense of, of fear or anything from Mandy. And yet it's almost as though mother, whatever her name was, the crazy lady was trying to create that in her. And it's like, Mandy's just not taking the bait. She's not biting on it. She's just like, are we done? Can I go back to my book now? Um, so yeah, Mandy's tough. She is. Yeah. yeah. It, that's a great, great scene. There's so many of those in that first half. You're right in that that first half of this movie, I would love to see just a whole, another hour of that, of, no, of that style of stuff. And we sort of, we got a quick glimpse of that with one more scene, and that was the scene with the chemist, uh, was that same style oh, yeah. that we yeah, saw in the, the first tiger. half. Because, yeah. um, and, and the director and writer of this, by the way, I haven't mentioned him yet, but it's Panos Cosmatos. He... Um, has only done two films so far, Mandy, and he did one back in 2010 called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I haven't seen, but I hear. Um, I have heard of that. Yeah, uh, and it's the same. I think I heard of, of that thing. when this movie came out. People were like, "If you think Mandy's a wild ride, check <laughs> this movie out." Uh, and so it's got me curious. Oh, what is that movie now? He's getting more tame as he <laughs> yeah. goes. He's oh, he's really sold out with that Mandy movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, now, he, Panos Cosmatos actually comes from a family of artists. His father was a director, um, and his father is actually credited even though depending on who you talk to and what stories you hear, he didn't do much actual directing of tombstone um, was Paul a Cosmatos. Yeah. That was his father. And Panos uh, has some IMDb credits. He worked on the camera and electrical department of that movie. So great movie. Yeah. um, And so he comes from this kind of family. And one of the things I read was he was talking about when he was younger, they moved to a town and he had a video store and he would go in there, but his parents wouldn't let him rent anything R rated. So he would just, go in and look at all the box covers and read the backs of the movies and then make up his own movies in his head. 
And that's so wild. that's what he ended up doing when he made Beyond the Black Rainbow. And then this was, these were his his movies he was making up in his head when he was younger. And His parents were creatives and directors and they wouldn't let him watch explicit content? I guess not. Yeah, that's that's what he said. I says. mean, it depends on how young he was, but like, I feel like that's a little strange. It's all contextual, what you let your kids watch. But, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't uh, know how old he was. Uh, that's just that was a story he told in an interview. Um, but okay. it is it is interesting though. You're right in that typically that would not be something that uh, that you would expect, right? That's not a that's not the typical kind of expectation of a creative family. Um, so I found I found that interesting. But yeah, he definitely uh, has an, a unique view of things for sure. Um, I also thought it was interesting that uh, apparently his favorite Nicolas Cage movie is Vampire's Kiss which I get it and I can see why he would want Nick Cage in this movie. And that's actually the same piece of trivia could be said for color out of space and Richard Stanley who directed that his favorite cage movie was also vampires kiss. So a really early cage movie, isn't it? Isn't yeah. It's the, like 89 like early eighties. Oh, okay. Late eighties, okay. 89, but he's still, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't Nicholas cage yet. Like he hadn't right, hit right. that stride. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie yet, it's, that's a wild ride. That was actually. I don't very... think I have seen that movie. That's uh, that's one that slipped past me. Uh, again, because he wasn't. It wasn't a thing where everybody went and saw every Nicolas Cage movie at that point yet. Right. It was still. Uh, you know, he was just that weird guy. <laughs> so that was the very first uh, Nick Cage movie that we covered on my show for any of these two years ago. Uh, when oh, I did cool. My first Cage Month was Vampire's Kiss, and I described it at the time. Uh, as it's not the best performance by Nick Cage, and it's not the worst performance. It's Cage at his most. He just goes for it oh, in that movie. He's just got the volume up. And and in fact, almost as entertaining as watching that movie is fine if you can find the commentary tracks with him. Because there's moments where he's just like, yeah, I'm not even sure what I was doing here. Like, I don't I don't know what, what the reason for the bug eyes was exactly. It just that's felt fantastic. right at the time. <laughs> so that's totally worth seeing, but go ahead. His, his bug eyes in this movie are very effective. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're very well timed. I'll give him that, yeah. that, that look he gives at the very end. is just like his face is all red and bloody. And it's it just are, that crazy expression on his. Are you talking about eyes. in the car yeah. where he sees where he's man? away. <laughs> it's oh Oh my God, that'll stay with me for for years. Well, it's great because that's so like you can interpret that in so many different ways. But it's like okay, so so as because as the camera kind of pans up as he's driving away, the landscape is not Earth anymore, right? And you're seeing probably, I'm guessing Jupiter and Saturn are what the planets are supposed Jupiter, to be, kind of yeah. But it's like okay, so like what exactly is going on? How much of this is in his head? How much of this is like the supernatural stuff that they've hinted at in this movie that they ne they never explain. Like I love how the ending is so ambiguous and weird because you've got moments of him where he's he's clean, he's wearing his forty four shirt, he's not covered in blood, he's not looking crazy, he's just looking over at Mandy and seeing Mandy there. But then you cut back from it at one point and he's just wide eyed and insane looking. And yeah. then you cut back to Mandy again and she's just kind of smirking. Like I love that whole ending. It's just so much fun. Uh, there's just so much to take in in this movie, and like it makes me want to watch it again just to to take in the visuals, plus all the all the slow still frames that are like heavy metal album covers. Yeah, <laughs> and the uh, the animated sequences, the little uh, animated uh, transitions that they put in there, mm -hmm. I thought that was so cool. I thought I thought it was really cool. It was, but I didn't expect any of it. Like there's so much uh, of trying to nail down what you think this movie is going to be versus what it actually ends up being. And you're right. I knew it had something to do with a cult and his wife being taken away when they actually killed his wife. I was shocked because I thought the movie was going to be about him getting her back. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, Oh, this is straight up revenge. Um, and, and so every kind of every turn this movie took it, it did really throw me off right up to, the fact that I'm like at the end, very last frame, I'm like, oh, they're in fucking outer space. <laughs> I I didn't see that coming. Like, um, it, I thought Jupiter was a, a, a 
for the god and because of you know he crafts the lightning bolt axe and he does all this other stuff but it's like oh you're actually mean jupiter yeah. as in the planet <laughs> and it's so much ambiguity uh that it's uh, it, you know it's frustrating and i i kind of love it at the same time the yeah. ending left me wondering like what is next for red because yeah. like i initially thought when he set fire to the cult's church uh i thought the perfect ending would just be him pulling up a chair and sitting and watching it burn around him and because like there's nothing left for him i feel like i'm not sure that didn't happen and that him driving <laughs> away is in in his head because it's That's all true. yeah you know it, you ask me to definitively say what the end of this movie is i don't know that i could tell you right like, if you you said I was just going to say, if you uh, wanted to have this end, the ending of this movie be like the ending of Brazil, right? Where you, you see him driving away and then it just cuts back to, and there's Nick Cage just staring at the fire as it burns around him. I would buy that 100%. I'd be Absolutely. like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> he's snapped and he's going to die. But that, there's That's nothing the break, left for yeah. Red. So, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know. Like you said, he went, he went full bad. Like he had to. Uh, turn evil to defeat evil but like he also let the woman who is trapped in the cult leave the younger woman yeah. is the one he left alive right he he kind of shows that he still has that glimmer of humanity but then that begs the question question how is he going to live with himself after he's done the things that he's done and seen what he's seen right well there's no going back i think i think that's the big that's why if you say if he was if they had cut to a shot of him burning up in the church just watching it all burn and dying with everything that wouldn't surprise me because it is like the whole point of his character arc is he goes into hell basically and there is no going back for him there's no, you know he's not going to go get another wife mm -hmm. and settle into this this quiet you know cabin life again like how do you go back from this insane drugs and violence binge that you've been on Oh, he right. finally gets to move like he's been wanting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a wonderful bit of foreshadowing for the characters there. I think we should leave here. Why? It's so peaceful. Oh, boy. Except for oh, that boy. dead deer I found in the woods. Uh, but yeah, there was a, a lot of menace at the very beginning of this, too. There is. So, yeah. One thing I did notice, and I don't know if you realize this or not, and Austin, you brought up that he leaves the young girl, I think her sister Sarah or was her name or something, uh, leaves her alone, doesn't doesn't kill her. But also, there, I think the body count in the movie is like 12, and there's 14 characters in the movie or something About like right. that, 15. Yeah. But the two women that die in this movie, Mandy and uh, Crazy Mother, what's what's her name? Both of them die off screen because we see Mandy burned up, but I'm not convinced she was yeah. burned alive. They already had her in a bag and the way that he carried that bag out and kind of threw it down before they strung her up to burn her leads me to believe they'd killed her inside and just brought her out. But then the mother, she has her whole scene where she's trying her last ditch effort to seduce him and, and get in uh, yeah. Cage's favor. And then we cut away and she's killed off screen. I found that interesting that both those kills were off screen, whereas they were so intent on showing us everyone else dying and violently and brutally. And in the, in the worst death possible. You yes. Know. It, uh, and, and in great detail, too. <laughs> I mean... I, I did think Mandy was alive. Like, I thought I saw the bag moving. Yeah, there was a... When, when it's burning. Uh, and that made me think back to her story about... Uh, the starling the birds in the okay. oh wow yeah yeah okay. so all right but she she could have just been moving like with the uh the guy holding the rope it could have just been swinging i don't know what I, what i like again is interpretation you're you were remembering that story that she told and and so that was affecting how you were seeing that i was seeing it a little bit differently I don't think either one is wrong, and I think both are fascinating to, to really dive into and think about, too, which is great. That's, that's I think, at its core, what makes this movie so, so interesting and so good is there's so much going on, but there's so much that you can interpret, and then you can have these conversations. You can be like, well, maybe she was alive in the bag. 
but I'm, I'm viewing it completely different from that and, and so on and so forth. So I, I love that. You can look at all the different interpretations of like characters. What were these black skulls? Because the right. one, the one that's standing by his car when they're burning it gets hit in the neck with an arrow and doesn't even flinch. Yeah. <laughs> just keeps standing there, takes the arrow out <laughs> and uh, just sits there bleeding. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, there was also the the weird, weird non sequitur of that goblin uh, macaroni and cheese commercial. Oh my god, <laughs> that thing was crazy. <laughs> it was so good though, so funny. Um, that thing gets like a ton of credits in the end too, of like uh, the studio that worked on it and the the <laughs> weird, you know, like every it's like a set of credits for goblin cheese or whatever the thing was. Oh my god, it was so so crazy. Was that a real commercial? No, it was. A, it looks like. It, it looks, looks like, like a it. 1980s uh, macaroni and cheese commercial. So, like yeah. The where's the beef girl? <laughs> the uh, the person that actually did that um, was uh, he did the Adult Swim thing. Too many cooks. I don't know if you if either. Just oh saw uh, that. yeah, uh, he um, did. Uh, uh, Your pretty face is going to hell yeah. as well. Yeah, that was that was who did Swim. the uh, yeah. that was who did the commercial. The Goblin. Oh, cheese that commercial. makes a lot of sense actually. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> Um, so we, we've mentioned a few people. We mentioned Linus Roche, who was great. Uh, Andrea Risenboro, uh, Riseboro, uh, as Mandy, she was fantastic. She was, she really is. Yeah. She had such an interesting look to that character because she has the scar under the one eye. Did she have two different colored eyes or am I just like, is it just the way they lit certain oh. scenes? I, I didn't notice anything. I didn't notice that either. But I am going to watch this movie again, so I'll, I'll let you know. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to tell because there's so much tricks and things going on with lighting, and there's scenes where the red filter makes her eyes look black, um, and scenes at night or when she's drugged up where her pupils get huge. But I feel it seems like they were really playing up one eye being much brighter blue than the other, and that could just just be the way that the lighting was. But she was really, a lot of weird color stuff in this movie. Yeah, she was just so, really yeah. good, and I. I for a character who's only in half the movie and she just, she had a really, really strong presence to her and she drives that first half narrative so well. Um, yeah. So I really, really, well that, that, um, that scene we were talking about earlier of them in the, the gas station, just the, the older woman and mm -hmm. Mandy. I, I mean, it's just a, a, tense awkward conversation and both those women who i've never seen in anything before i think that's a testament to how great their performances were is that they made that scene with no special effects no weird lsd stuff mm -hmm. uh, they just made that scene really intense and really watchable and and i think that was all just performance based and and i think it was really uh, really compelling acting in this movie from a lot of character actors that I've I'm completely unfamiliar with. Uh huh. You know that scene with the two of them. Uh, I wouldn't say it's reminiscent of, but I would put it in the same direction as the scene at the beginning of No Country for Old Men with Anton Chigurh in the in the, in the, convenience the, the old man. Yeah, yeah. It's that yeah. same type of thing where it's just two people having a conversation. They're really having two different conversations at the same time, like. One is toying with the other one. Yeah. Very true. And, uh, so the difference being is like, you know that after the scene with, uh, in No Country for Old Men, that he killed that guy and left. Like, you guarantee that, even though he says he, he won the coin flip, like, I'm, I'm convinced because that dude was just a bad dude. Well, I don't know. I don't it, know, man. I, it, I, I'll split hairs with you on that one, <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, I, I know what you're saying. Like, there's a, there's a subtext to everything that's that's going on, yeah. and there's a the 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 customer is toying with the person behind the counter in both scenes. You're, yes. that's a really really good point because I think those scenes line up really well. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Brother Swan uh, might actually be the the character that I like the least in terms of like if I met these people, the one that I would want to punch first is probably Brother Swan, Ned Dennehy. Uh, he was awful uh, but so good so well done also uh to note linus roche who played jeremiah ned dennehy who played brother swan and richard brake who played the chemist are all from the uk none of them are oh, american wow. but they do good a fantastic accent. Yeah. american accents richard really brake yeah. richard brake is always 
floored me with his ability to do an American accent because he just does it so well. Um, I have seen that guy in something. I, I couldn't place him, but I, the the chemist, right? Yes. Uh, so the yeah. chemist has been in quite a few things. Um, most notably, a lot of people remember him uh, if you saw Doom, the movie with the with the Rock, uh, and uh, maybe a long time ago he yeah. was he was in that. He actually he was also in Batman Begins. He was Joe Chill. Um, he was on uh, Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, he uh, he showed up in an episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, I forgot about that. He's kind yeah, of I've one of those. I've seen him in all these things. Oh. And it's just one of those faces that yep. is like, I know you somewhere. Yeah. He he often plays um, very slimy, greasy, icky characters, right? He's just got that look about him. Yeah. He's got that ability. He always sounds like he's a bad guy. So uh, he, Rob Zombie puts him in dirty. a lot of stuff. He yes. Looks grunt. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like uh, uh, Devil's Rejects and stuff like that. Yep, he would pop up, uh, I think, those... in uh, Three from Hell. He popped up in um, 31, uh, which was okay. another Rob Zombie. Like, he's popped up in a lot of zombie stuff. Um, so, yeah, he's just got that look about him. But he he's great. Um, and, uh, you know, Ned Dennehy, as um, his brother Swan, just uh, he was another one. He just had that creepy look to him. Plus, he had that delivery of, you know, calling him a, a worthless piece of human excrement. Like, yeah. That's so much worse than than swearing at them, <laughs> right? <laughs> to, to call him out was with just, it. Oh. Yeah, um, he he took joy in everything he did. Yes, that was wrong. And yeah. I think that's why his kill, his death, was so satisfying to watch. Even though the sound design of it was like made my skin crawl, which the sound design of this movie did a lot of that, but like the visual of him getting the ax handle through the head is already bad enough. Right. And then you've got the gurgling that's going along with it. It's like, Oh, come on. I just, yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. But I will, it's also I will say he satisfying. had, uh, I think he had just one of the best subtle little acting moves too, is when he's leaving the first scene with Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is in bed mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're making their plan. And then he goes to leave and Jeremiah says, send, uh, uh, oh yeah, Sarah? It's like Sister Lucy. Sister or Sarah? Whatever. Uh, yeah, s- send her in, and he looks like hesitant to do it for just this really split second. It's like, oh, he uh, he has a thing for her, or it's it's his wife, or it's a relation to him. Like he doesn't want to send her in, but he kind of knows like that's the pecking order. It's it's you see it like he's devoted to Jeremiah, and he wants to do what he's told, but he doesn't really want to do what he's told at the same mm-hmm. time. I didn't pick up. Uh, it's, it's really, I, I, maybe I, it could be, I'm reading too much into it, but I, he just has this real fast look of hesitation on his face. And I think it's just one of the great subtle performances in this movie that, that sell me on the, on the actors uh, of the cast of this movie. Yeah. And that's coming right after he is so quick to give up the one. Um, yeah. The one guy where he, you know, calls him the fat tub of lard or whatever. Blonde, uh, blonde Jonah Hill. Yeah. Um, yep. Is uh, and that guy when he gets taken away is like, <laughs> oh my god, I, oh. <laughs> he looks oh. terrified. It's so crazy and disturbing. It's funny too. You you called him blonde Jonah Hill because there's a couple of uh, of characters that I did that with in this movie. Um, the guy that he gets in the chainsaw fight with, um, which yeah. by the way. The, the greatest chainsaw dick measuring contest you'll ever see is <laughs> great duels on film of all time. So, so good. But that guy reminded me of, he made me think of a roided up Vincent Cassell, which if you've seen uh, oceans 12 and 13, he was the, the French thief. He was in brotherhood of the okay. wolf. Um, you've uh, seen him in a few things, Vincent, uh, yeah. castle, I think, but he, that's who he looked like to me. It was like a, a bigger roided up version of him. Bigger, bigger version, less skinny. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had Richard Brake in it, but we also had the Kmart version of Richard Brake, which was brother Hanker. The one that gets the ax to the head looked like the, the knockoff version of Richard Brake. Is that the guy who kept playing with the power window in the van? Yes. Oh, that, that. <laughs> There's another one of your great acting moments, which is as he's sitting there playing with the window, the look yeah. on brothers oh, on Ned Dennehy's so face <laughs> is so good because it's just like I'm. It's the one time that I identified with that character. I'm like, I'm with you, but yeah. I'm right there with you. His whole he's in a van full of idiots that he hates, <laughs> yes. and and he just has to he just has to do it anyway. Oh. 
And that's, I mean, that's really your cast. Like there was people that played the the um, Black Skulls, the crazy bikers, but you never yeah. see their face. You barely see them. Like that was, I think, a brilliant move too, is to keep those characters always in shadow. You never get a full on look yeah. at exactly what they look like. Um, even kind though, of discount Hellraiser uh, cosplay. Yeah, um, a little bit of that. But yeah, you can't really see it real well, and and I think that's the budget limitations of this movie, partly. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a smart move. I th- I think they hid the limited budget of this movie so well. They did so much with so little. I I I can't stop applauding. Oh yeah. Uh, the the technical level this movie was made on for almost no money i i feel like it would take away if we saw like if they like took off the mask or like if we just saw them fully saw like, in daylight or yeah. something like that yeah. it's like yeah. when they totally. show the horror the monster in the horror movie yeah it's like oh yeah the last couple alien movies where they show the xenomorph in like daylight it's like no 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 keep that thing in shadow like yeah, we or, don't want to see you don't want to see it clearly it's, yeah jeepers creepers was probably the worst at that where it's like that the first half hour of that movie is great and then the director fell in love with his monster costume and just kept showing right. it and it's like it takes everything away from it you're right it, it takes away all the mystery and horror of it yeah yeah you're absolutely right it's much better this way because it it makes your brain fill in the blanks which is going to be much more horrifying than anything you're going to see on screen but i also loved not only not showing it full on but the strobe effect they used for the actual abduction was creepy oh. as all hell so disorienting, man. Oh, yeah. So, like, difficult to watch, but for all the reasons that it should be difficult to watch, that scene was less about being difficult to watch because of the subject matter and more of just, like, you're confused and the strobing and everything is yeah. throwing you off. So that, this movie did a great job of balancing different ways to make you uncomfortable. It didn't have to lean just on gore effect or just on... Uh, the idea that uh, of what that dude did to the couple in that house when, uh, right. when Nicholas Cage walks into that room, like that's disturbing and it's almost glossed over, but like that's something that puts you in a, in a real weird frame of mind. And, right. and then technically um, with the strobe lights or with the, the weird LSD trips and the audio, like the whole scene with uh, the tiger and, and the chemist is got weird stuff. Like, the it cuts to a shot with all the millipedes crawling around his feet for whatever reason. Oh and yeah, cuts away and there's nothing there. Like there's all sorts of stuff like that. So it's just so weird and out there, and really just interesting. At the end of the day, like and it just makes me want to watch the movie again. Is really where we're at. The the score to this movie, I would say, <sighs> adds so much too because it's like it's like an '80s horror score, mm-hmm. but then the there's always like a, a note that's wrong. It's out of key and it just throws the whole thing off. There's like waves and uh, distortion to it. it. It's it's put through all these effects pedals, I feel like, and it just makes it all sound, it sounds familiar, but off, which is, it keeps you engaged because it's familiar. And then it just knocks you off center a little bit. And yep. it, there's something super compelling about this. So you saw probably at the end where the movie was dedicated to Johan Johansson. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. He did the music. So oh, okay. he was the music uh, producer for this. He also <clears throat> has done music for um, Mother, which was another, oh, okay. um, which yeah. was another weird one. Uh, Arrival um, that came out a few years ago. Uh, I love both of those movies. Yeah. Sicario was him. Um, the Theory of Everything he did music for. Um so he's done, he sadly passed away uh, in January of 2018, uh, which is why they dedicated this movie to him. But and yeah, right his, before this, you know, yeah. yeah, but his music, the music in this was so good because, and the, the song I played at the top was the, the uh, King Crimson song that plays in the opening credits um, yeah. of the movie. And then they just m- kind of melded into this weird sort of synthy doom, almost doom metal, right? Like that real chugging, yeah kind of metal where it's very down tempo and it fit because in setting this movie in 1983, I think was also uh, really smart for the tone and the style and the feel they were going for, because you get that you've got Jeremiah Sands, who's this failed folk musician who was doing that in the seventies and you're molding into the eighties. You got Mandy wearing all her heavy metal shirts. 
um, throughout the movie, throughout the first half yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. So this, uh, it works. So this well. movie almost feels like a trip to rock music. Mm-hmm. There's or like a, rock culture even because it's it's just a very punk movie to pop culture in general like you can see jeremiah's band especially like like the older the older members of his cult them being like leftover 60s hippies leftover yep. manson era hippies that just never went away they they've slipped through the cracks they're still driving these old vehicles around and and they're on each other's nerves, like like Jeremiah in his first scene with with the older woman. He like <laughs> mocks her, oh yeah, uh, because he's just so tired of her, you know. Like that the, these people have been together too long, doing too many drugs, yeah. to where they, they're just about fractured anyway. That'll mm-hmm. do it, yeah. Well, and and yeah, I do think it is kind of a love letter to that uh, that sort of psychedelic uh, rock and metal. And, you know, I mentioned the heavy metal album covers. There's several of those moments in this movie where it's like, yep, there's a still frame that, you know, give it a band name and and there you go. You got your album cover. Um, she's even drawing that stuff yeah. in the first scene. That's what she's doing when when he comes home and tells his chips. Uh, Eric Estrada <laughs> knock knock joke. <laughs> but, still, um... The worst knock knock <laughs> joke I've ever heard, but it's, it, it's <laughs> somehow Estrada still funny. Chips. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but I mean, it, yeah, that stuff is just peppered through this whole thing. The animated sequences, it's, uh, it ties in with what you said earlier, Travis, with it being like Bakshi, like that, mm-hmm. that style, just, it's an aesthetic and it, it's consistent through the whole, the whole film. Yeah. And then, you know, to have moments where it's not a, cause the drugged out scene where Jeremiah's talking to her is trippy and they do all sorts of audio stuff. And you mentioned the, the whole face melding where they, there must, I feel like they had to have done some kind of an AI thing to match their faces up because the way his face moves at moments, you can tell it's hers superimposed over it. And it's not just like, it's not just lining up their eyes and the frame and going like they have the, the face, the faces move together. But it's then, like that face swap thing that yeah. everyone did on uh, on Instagram last year. Very much, very much like that. Uh, but then you also have just the scene where she's walking along when the when the van drives by her is just all shot with that red tint to everything. Yeah, just because. Oh, and the the freeze frame and yeah. glitching and going back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that was really cool. Yeah, there's all sorts so of I'm stuff. I'm saying like they that. they do they get so much out of just. Filters, filters on the lenses, filters on the lights, uh, uh, weird editing tricks. They got so much mileage out of these cheap film special effects technologies. Uh, it's it's crazy to think about how much of this stuff was just red lights projected on things, and uh, and it's just it's really great. The uh, like you're talking about though, like the the AI of matching the faces up. That was probably the most like high tech. Uh, shot in this whole movie because probably it's, it's just so bizarre it's so bizarre and it's so effective too because it effective, just effective yes it, again uncomfortable to watch but you can't look away from it either but uncomfortable for a different reason than half the other stuff meanwhile he's sitting here spouting whatever drug-fueled crap is coming out of his mouth uh and the way that he's delivering those lines and that very slow delivery and that deliberate thing, which is exactly what the chemist does later. And it's, it's just, it's weird and effective in in so many different ways. And on top, and then, you know, then he stands up and undoes his robe and gets laughed at. Um, (laughs) Did did not expect any of that, (laughs) but uh, there it was. Yep. I know. uh, Go ahead. Sorry. uh, With the, what did you call them? The filters? Yeah, uh, I feel like another movie that would feel like a gimmick or cheap, but like for some reason, all of that works in here. Yeah. And I don't know what it is specifically. I feel like it's the way it's used. It's like, some of it is the way it's used. And some of it, I think, especially in that particular scene uh, where with Jeremiah is the scene right before that we've seen her get completely drugged up. They dropped LSD in her eyes and then the giant wasp of death that oh, they stung man. her with. Like, I, 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 
I actually can tell what at what point uh, that came up because in my notes, all I have is nope, no, 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 over and over and over. I wanted nothing to do with that. Um, but like, I think because they have that right beforehand, you're now mentally set up for something weird to happen. And so you're right. It, it, it works. It's earned, I think, is what happens in this movie. The, the use of that stuff is earned. It doesn't feel cheap. Yes. So. And I, I think that that also, like you say, earned. They've, they've set precedent for something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say like that wasp, that bug, when they first pull it out of the jar, you can tell it's a plastic bug. You can tell it is a fake bug. But the tone that they have set for this movie is that it is surreal. Mm-hmm. Everything is a step removed from reality. So you just accept anything that doesn't look quite right. I think th- I think it's like watching something that's animated in a really highly stylized way. You just you don't question the reality of anything because it doesn't look real and you just yeah. kind of go with it. And I, I feel like that's part of it. It's good storytelling to set your stage that way. Mm-hmm. And, and then it gives you so much leeway to, I mean, <laughs> Nicholas Cage fights a guy with a giant Wolverine claw for a dick, you know, like, yeah. and you just <laughs> accept that as part of the movie. Like, you don't even really second guess how weird that scene is. Haven't we all done that? <laughs> and not only does he do that, but then he uses that against the guy by getting him stuck on the floor with it and then <laughs> yeah. cuts, slashes his throat with the box cutter and just revels in the fire hose of blood that comes out of that guy's yeah, neck. Red is literally red for yes. the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's, and you just go with it. And you just yeah. are like, all right. Yep, like, yep. Uh, All that's right. what this movie is. We are here for this, and this is what we get. <laughs> Honestly, it, again, it's not a movie for everybody. I know, I know many, many no. people that couldn't get through this movie, and I wouldn't fault them for that at all. Like, if you're not into uh, gore in a movie, don't watch this at all. But if you do enjoy a movie that can can push some boundaries like that, I think this is a really good movie to see because I think it's got a lot going on in it. And I'm really glad that you both enjoyed it. So that that's always... I, I really love... I'm, I'm so glad that we picked this. Uh, first of all, I'm super glad that you had us on for Cage of Palooza. You know, this Absolutely. is... You know, it's the event everybody wants to go to. So uh, <laughs> it's 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 really cool. And and to do this movie and finally see it and and just I was able to I w- just happen to be in the mood where I am in the mood to revel in whatever this movie throws at me and was able to just roll. You know, sometimes you go in with expectations or whatever yep. and it's not the same. But I'm the same way. I love this movie, but I would have a really hard time recommending it to just anyone. Like yes. it's like <laughs> You got to be a really specific mindset to enjoy this movie as mm-hmm. it's presented. Yeah, Austin, you brought it, up it's... Uh, you brought up Midsummer, and that's it falls into that kind of a category. Midsummer is not something you can just recommend to anybody, even any right. horror, even your average horror fan. You may not recommend something like Midsummer to or Mandy, but you got to really know what someone likes. Yes, to be like you're gonna enjoy yes. this mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly that. That is a good way to put it. But man, if you know somebody that likes that, that will get into this, they will love this because this yeah. movie takes it to an 11. Uh, and, and in such a, an interesting way too. Um, so I, I really like that. I'm glad. Thank you both for coming on. This was great. I, I, you've both been on before, but now it was fun to have you both on together. So that was, that was really good. Cause you do a show together, right? You do the picture show. We do. Uh, we do the picture show with Austin and Phil Rude. Uh, we review a movie a week and, uh, we are on hiatus right now. We're coming back in what? Three weeks, September 13th. We start our third season. Okay. Um, Excellent. And, uh, Austin, you want to talk about what we're doing for Uh, season three? Yeah. Since it's our third season, we are reviewing movies in threes. So, Uh, We each picked two trilogies, and uh, we're going to watch them one per week, one uh, movie per week, week. and then kind of compare them, see how, 
you know, storytelling works with when it's three separate movies that are combined. Excellent. Taking a taking a look at some trilogies and and seeing how storytelling works as single movies and across the board. So uh, yeah, we're trying something a little bit different, and um, uh, we dropped a promo episode that goes a little more in depth and tells you uh, which trilogies we're going to be watching. Check that out wherever you get podcasts, um, and and we hope you'll join us on uh, September thirteenth. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe because it's good stuff. Uh, if you enjoyed tonight, you'll enjoy the picture show. Um, Thanks, so Travis. Definitely check Thank that you. out. Thank you both for being on. This has been uh, a really fun conversation. I'm glad that I got to show you Absolutely. both this movie. I got to watch it again, which was a, a treat. Um, and Cage of Palooza rolls on. This was the penultimate episode. Next week, we, we wrap up Cage of Palooza 2021. Uh, Amy Frost is coming back and um, she is bringing with her Matchstick Men, who uh, is a movie that I have not seen before, yet it stars Nick Cage, it has Sam Rockwell in it, and it was directed by Ridley Scott. The fact that those three things all happen in one movie and I haven't seen it yet is uh, something I got to fix. So Amy is... And it's a con movie. It's a, it's a, it's a good exactly. con man movie. So, so you know, it's, uh, it's got it all. And Amy. I love Amy. So Yep, so uh, a- Amy is fixing that... Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and after after that, we get into September. And I've got some fun ones coming up in September, too. So keep an eye out on Twitter, twitter.com slash Travis, And you can find me there, and uh, you'll see kind of what's what's coming down the road. Um, where can people find both of you, by the way, if they want to follow you on any social medias, if you've got anything to say? Uh, we don't like to be stalked by Colts, so we don't give out our information <laughs> like that. Nice try, though. I woke ah, up to a strobe light in my house. And I found knew I me out. Given my Twitter address. <laughs> Damn. So close. No, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, that's where I usually am. And I am Austin Enrude. And then I also have a Doctor Who fan page called uh, Old Who Review. Excellent. What? Or you can also type in old whore view. Um, it, it, <laughs> right. it does both work. Oh, that's that uh, might be the best thing. You can get me and uh, all of our episodes are available at philrude.com and you can get my social media links from there. Uh, that's just a hub where you can branch off. You can buy art there. You can check me out on Twitter. Forever. Yes, yes, folks, check all out right. the art. The art is... I love seeing the stuff that you uh, you draw and throw out there. It's great. It's great stuff. So, I got a I got a Bill Duke drawing after watching this today. It's up on my Instagram uh, at philrude seventy five. Excellent. Well, thank you. It both. matches the vibes of this movie. Oh, it does. I saw it. It, it definitely <laughs> does. Thank you both uh, for being on. This has been great. Um, so, as we we come closer and closer to the close of Cage of Palooza twenty twenty one, I just want everybody to to enjoy their movies because you got to and be excellent to each other all right this has been wait you haven't seen Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>